So today I have with me Tanya, who's a very, very interesting woman, around the world traveler, a mother, and a rebel, I would say, a radical woman. So Tanya, introduce yourself. Who are you? How would you describe yourself? I love Rebel. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm Tanya. I'm a women's health nurse. I'm the founder of a nonprofit to help abuse survivors. Uh, I write crazy. Can I curse here? Is that is that allowed? It's um, actually my podcast is explicit. So yes. Okay, I write crazy shit. Um, and it's all truth and very raw. So yeah, I think that's sums it up. I'm thinking a lot about the word sovereign these days um, in relation to women, and mm. particularly in relation to women's reproductive life. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the words that have come up in my discussions with people over the past few months has been, um, some of the words have been sovereign, some of the words have been um, colonized, uh, some of the words have been property. So. There are things that affect our sovereignty as women, and one of the biggest is, is of course, different types of trauma or different types of, um, you know, wanting to be a good girl or a nice girl or whatever that might, however that might be translated in anyone's psyche. How do you think trauma has affected your sovereignty? Oh, my God, that's a loaded question. It so is. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, so that was my whole book was about trauma because I have been through, I think I've been through basically every, most types of traumatic experiences. Um, and the way that, first of all, women are so vulnerable to trauma. And it starts even just with our anatomy and physiology, we are vulnerable to pregnancy, whether or not we want it. Uh, and that's, there's no backing out of that once you are, you know, far enough along or whether or not you have the choice to have an abortion. Um, so sovereignty just is difficult to access being a woman because you have a uterus and a vagina. Um, so, oh my goodness. And that predisposes us to so much trauma um, and also takes away a lot of choice. And I think one of the greatest inventions of all time is birth control is giving us back that choice and sovereignty over our lives. Because at the end of the day, um, yeah, women are more vulnerable to sexual assault, to rape, to, um, to traumatic birth experiences, to, to fetal loss. Um, and also just in terms of equality, there's as much as we like to say, yes, equality is getting better. We're still not there. And so in terms of sovereignty, I don't think we're there yet. I, I think a lot of women are sovereign, but so many women are not um, because of all of these reasons. And trauma is a huge factor in not having that control uh, and that power over our lives and sometimes even over our bodies. And that causes a huge amount of, uh, of issues. So yeah, it's a big conversation. Um, and that's why I'm in the, um, I'm in the space that I'm in now, which is trauma healing, uh, because I, it's not fair that it affects women so disproportionately. Um, 
and therefore learning how to tap into what makes us heal and how to rewire our nervous systems to heal from trauma is a massive part of being sovereign and is a massive part of reestablishing um, choice and power to women again. So how how did you personally regain power? Because I know, I mean, it seems like you did. I've been... Mm-hmm. I've I've actually known you for many years, and it seems like every year you get you 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 regain more and more of your inner strength and and beauty and and sovereignty. So how what what were the steps like for you? Yeah, you've been there. Actually, you've been through some of the most intense moments of my life. Remember, because I had gone through. Okay, I'm taking a roundabout answer to your question here. But <laughs> you remember, because um, I had come to you saying I lost a baby and now I'm going to give birth soon and I need to repair this childbirth experience. How do I go ahead and do that? Like it was all about repair and reclaiming power and saying how can I heal from this? And you were a huge. Um, yeah, you were a huge person to to help me through that. And thank you. Um, so yeah, how was I able to um, go ahead and reclaim power over my life? Um, I think I started from a very disempowered point. Um, when you're ultra orthodox religious, often women don't have a lot of choice, don't have a lot of options. University is discouraged. So the fact that I went to university was very much a rebel thing to do. Um, I remember having a whole class in school of why if you go to university, um, you're a bad Jew and you're a bad woman, you know? Um, so how did I get to be more empowered? I think it's such a process. And you know what's under what's under um, talked about in terms of female empowerment is legal empowerment, like having the capacity to know your legal rights to prove um, your rights in court to uh, like, that's been massive for me because if I didn't have a country uh, where I can exercise my legal rights, I would be even more disempowered. So I think that's been a huge um, advantage for me to be born in Canada where I can uh, learn about my rights and say, okay, like these are my rights. I'm going to empower myself financially by accessing these resources. Um, I'm going to win court cases because uh, I have choice and I, you know, as much as the, the, the legal system is archaic, um, it's better than nothing. <laughs> and so you can get something out of it. And so I think that's really helped me along being a Canadian, having uh, government support. Um, I think community is huge, but I didn't have that, um, that liberty or that, um, that option because I left a community. But I think for women who are looking to re-empower themselves after being so abused and going through so much trauma, um, I would say use the legal system if you can. Um, use social support because your family, your community is, if you have access to a supportive family and community, can be so incredibly helpful. Um, and then it really comes down to your brain and your nervous system. Can you heal? Can you live your life without having nightmares? Can you live your life believing that you're a beautiful, powerful person, even though you've been through so much abuse? Like all of that takes a lot of internal work. Um, and that again, um, that again goes back to to the program that I'm working on. Um, if 
people are interested, it's at tanyazajdal.com because it's a really fascinating program I put together in order to help people heal from trauma. Um, and it combines over six different types of therapies. So that's like CBT, um, authentic movement, somatic experiencing therapy, reparative yoga, um, drama therapy. It really combines everything into one program. Um, and that's what I'm so passionate about is healing, because if we cannot heal our minds and our nervous systems, how are we supposed to empower ourselves? How are we supposed to become independent? Um, and so, yeah, my personal journey has been, uh, it's slow. It's slow, but it's progressive. And I think above all, listen to your intuition and listen, do what you want, do what makes you happy at all costs, because you're never going to regret doing what made you happy and what felt right. So what about this whole idea that, you know, if it doesn't kill you, it'll make you stronger? Um, I mean, I think any of us would rather have a really nice life with really supportive parents and um, and go into a really good relationship with someone and have love and, and bountiful energy and joy all through their lives. And then others of us have, have definitely suffered trauma and, and become stronger from it. So, you know, where do you draw the line when you're even thinking about it? Like I look at you and, and I wouldn't want anything else uh, for you, even though I, I, I have a small understanding of some of the horrific things you've been through i i do know that in a sense they've gilded you they've made you stronger those break those breakages have been repaired and and made more beautiful so so talk to me about that it seems like a paradox that's so interesting you bring that up because when i was going through my journey of yeah like i've overcome gang rape i've overcome uh fetal loss from violence i've overcome uh an extremely abusive and violent relationship um, so there are so many things that, um, I, I had to rebuild myself up from. And in that journey, I was like, I learned about post-traumatic growth and I'm like, oh, there's such a thing as post-traumatic growth. And that means you can be even more developed and even more in tune and even more aligned and even stronger than you started off with. And so, yeah, of course there's post-traumatic growth and, and, you know, when you can't help it and the trauma happens, we have no choice but to say, okay, it's sink or swim. Am I going to um, completely let this rule my life and fall into a depression and not get out of bed? Or am I going to move towards post-traumatic growth where I can become, you know, a superpower and I can do all the things, but even better. And that's great. But when you say, you know, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I think the real answer on my end would say, you know, whatever doesn't kill you hurts you a lot. And that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it hurts you a lot. And, and there's no promising that not everybody can um, have the tools and the liberty and the even government support to get out of that. Not everyone has social support. So you need a lot of internal and external resources to recover from trauma and you can do it. I mean, people do it all the time. But at the same time, whatever doesn't kill you fucking hurts you. And that's not good. Like, stay away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, it's a weird little saying. Um, mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is truth that, you know, some, so many powerful women that I know have indeed experienced traumatic events. And th those traumatic events have been 
have been transcended. Yeah. Yeah. That's why when I was, uh, when I was, um, interviewing people that had had really transformative and uh, transcendent birth experiences, then I, I started thinking, well, why am I just interviewing them? What about the people that came out of traumatic birth experiences, mm -hmm. and they're still transformed and, and, you know, yeah. good mothers and, and, and full of love. So, so yes, it's, it's a difficult question. Yeah. Wow. If a young woman came to you asking for advice, um, this theoretical young woman is is really just at the beginning of her life, and she's saying, "What what what can I do to live a good life? What what kinds of things should I avoid? What kinds of things should I nurture in my life?" What would you tell That's her? That's a really good question. I think that we're as women we're socialized to, as you said in the beginning of this of this interview, like we're socialized to be good and to be kind and giving and generous. Um, but the best advice I would give to somebody starting their life is first off, you've already been socialized to be too giving and too kind and too generous. So just know that, just be aware of it. And if anything, exercise your, uh, your capacity to draw boundaries, exercise your capacity to be selfish, to put yourself first, because that's where empowerment starts by saying, if somebody doesn't make me feel like a million bucks all the time, I will not be around them. If somebody doesn't make me feel safe and you know loved all the time, I won't be around them, even if that's friendships or that's romantic relationships or that's a boss. Um, and so really learning how to put yourself first in every sense of the word is protective. Um, and that's the recipe to success. Because when you put yourself first, then you're okay. And then down the line, you can make sure your children are okay. And you can make sure that you have what you need and your kids have what they need. Um, yeah, that's really it. Like learn how to be selfish. It's interesting, you know, with the mask debates these days, I was just actually on a plane a couple of weeks ago, I escaped to the my favorite mountains, the Rockies. And on the plane, it was so interesting to hear, put your own oxygen mask on first, mm -hmm. then other people's, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and yes, we do need to put our own oxygen mask on first. We can't, you know, not breathe and, and give everyone else an oxygen mask. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there's something to be said about also in at the same time that women are socialized to be so kind and giving and generous at, at the exact same time we're doing that, we're pulling away from our own intuition and we're not listening to our own boundaries and we're taking care of too many people to actually respect what we need and how and when and what makes us happy. Uh, so it's, it's really so important to, to stay in touch with our intuition. You know, and exactly. It's like your own oxygen mask in every sense of the word. Yeah. So looking back at your life, are there moments when you consciously now looking back, can you remember moments when you actually pushed down your intuition about an upcoming event? Oh, my goodness. And in, in every way, um, because when you're born into a tight-knit community or you're born into religion or you're born with a family that has really high expectations of you in whatever form that happens, you're constantly pushing away what you want um, in, and exchanging it for what's expected of you. And um, in, on a more fun note, like I always wanted to travel the world. 
Um, but I was like, oh, I have to keep kosher. So I can't eat what I need to eat if I travel the world. Um, and I have to dress a certain way. And I don't know if that's going to be, um, you know, helpful if I start traveling to all these different parts of the world. And so I closed down my desire to travel because my religion made it really difficult to travel. Um, and so that's just one way where and now I travel the whole world and I've been so many places and it's so beautiful and empowering, empowering and taught me so much. And it's a way that I'm even just honoring that small part of me is like, wow, I get to be the person I want. I get to do what I want. Um, despite all of the drawbacks of people and expectations and community and religion wanting you to do or be someone else. But, um, you know, on a darker note, yeah, I mean, in terms of the people you meet and the relationships you go into, um, I think often we ignore red flags and we're like, oh, it'll be okay. My mom said it'll be okay. My parents said it's fine. My friends said it's okay. I think we turn to other people that we trust and ask them for advice instead of listening to ourselves. Um, I, I did that with, so I think most parts of my life, I growing up, I was like, oh, well, there's a greater purpose. And so my intuition and what I want isn't that important. I think it was very much a pervasive sense of that of that happening. And um, yeah, by the age of around 27 is when I left my abusive relationship. And I and I just started cutting off all of that um, negative cycle and, and just putting what I wanted first. I think that was a huge part. Yeah. And you find that you've managed to grow your intuitive exactly. sense? Exactly. Big time. What would you say is the most important aspect of being a mother of daughters? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Not knowing myself since I have five <laughs> sons. Yeah, it's, you know what? I have to say, when it comes to motherhood, it's such a loaded question. Because no, as a woman, knowing how difficult it is to be a woman firsthand with all everything I've experienced, which was very much because I was a woman, I looked at my daughter and I raised her to be a lot different than I was raised. And um, it's all about just the messages that we've been discussing, you know, listening to yourself and putting yourself first. Um, but it's, I mean, yeah, like coming from, from my experiences and going through that much trauma, it's, it, I try not to pass over that intergenerational trauma to her as much as possible. I do see a few strands of it, but I think overall, um, it's okay. Not, you know, not that it's not that predominant. Um, and what would I say to a, a mom who has girls? I think it's just be conscious of the fact that society wants us or an, in, and pushes us to raise our daughters a certain way. And they don't have to be any certain way. Like let them be tomboys badasses let them know that the whole world is their oyster um and i think it's a mother's instinct to raise women with fear and to say well if you do this then something bad will happen but i think to transcend that is saying you are so powerful you do whatever you want and to to leave fear out of the picture i think is really um a beautiful thing and a transcendent way to to look at motherhood through when you have a daughter. You know. 
I think as a mother in, gen in general or as a human in general, I've been thinking a lot about the relationship between fear, shame, guilt, and anger. They're, they're all four tied up very in, in a very knotted mm -hmm. way. And um, I've been pondering and meditating on which comes first. It's kind of like the age-old, mm. you know, chicken and egg thing. I'm not sure which comes first, but I do know that they're all knotted up in our in our psyches, um, because I think that um, I think that possibly how it works is you feel you're taught shame, and that leads to guilt, and that leads to fear, and then finally that leads mm. to anger. And then from the anger, something good has to, like, you have to be able to transform out of that because it's all based on the original shaming. Wow. That's so interesting. Fear. It's funny you say that because I've also been thinking about fear a lot recently because especially having gone through that, that much trauma, you live with fear. Um, you know, and so, yeah. and so, yeah, I've been, and I, I can't tell what comes first. Um, I can't tell what comes first. I guess in my personal experience, a lot of I hear a lot of people talking about shame and guilt, but for some reason, I don't feel that much shame and guilt. <laughs> um, maybe just because. Well, I think because you were raised with it, so it was yeah. just like you know your your natural state. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really much. It's exactly. It's very much how you were raised. Um, but then. Yeah, like, I guess my take on fear is it's so, you know what, I almost want to think about it in a positive sense of fear is your body's way of trying to protect you. So like, don't judge it. You know, it's your body's way of being like, I love you. I care about you. I want to protect you. And the healthy way to live out fear is being cautious is saying, okay, I'll prepare more for this, or I'll step into it slowly, because I'm going to be more cautious. And so giving fear a healthier outlet okay you know yeah. um because it's post-traumatic growth saying okay well now i have a bit more fear so how can i use it but then again saying like i don't have to be afraid of anything anymore because i am so powerful and i can get through anything and i can overcome anything and i can bypass anything is you know having those messages within yourself is is healthier um but as you said like there's you know shame is a big part of the picture and anger and i think it all the root problem is that causes it all is not prioritizing yourself, not putting yourself first and, and saying, Hey, listen, like everything that comes out of me is my body's way of expressing itself. And that's okay. You know, giving, giving yourself the space to feel, Hey, I feel ashamed. Why do I feel ashamed? Is it, is it okay for me to feel ashamed? Do I need to feel ashamed? No, I'm okay. You know, like just being free. Yeah. Yeah. So, it would be great if we could just teach uh, our young girls and women, um, you know, these positive, empowering thoughts and concepts and, and how to act. But unfortunately, so much has already been learned. Um, what, what should we unlearn with, our, with the young women and, and young girls that, that come to us? That's a really good question. What should we unlearn? Um, our society has to unlearn giving a fuck about what anybody thinks. <laughs> we do. We have to unlearn. That's a, that's a big yeah, call. Yeah, we have to unlearn giving a fuck because 
if you look at all the greatest, I don't know, greatest, but if you look at all the most famous YouTubers, it's because they don't give a fuck if they look stupid and they put themselves out there. Or Donald Trump, he doesn't give a fuck. He's super powerful. He's an idiot. But he didn't give a fuck. And that's why he got to the powerful position he was in, because he just put himself first. And so I think there's a link between power and putting yourself first. And so not giving a fuck about what other people think and really truly believing in listening to your gut is because I don't think listening to your gut is a choice. I think whether it takes 10 years or even 50 years, people will wake up and say, I haven't been listening to my gut. I've always wanted to do this. I put it off, but I, I feel like I have to do it now. So it's not a choice. Listening to your gut, you might as well do it in the beginning. So unlearn giving a fuck because listening to your gut is so important. So I'm going to move over to um, just a both mm-hmm. a bothy question. Did you find your both experiences transformative? And I want to just be very clear. Um, one of the things that happens in our in our culture is that um, an abortion, uh, a miscarriage, a stillbirth is considered not to be a both experience. Like you're not a mom. If you've had a, a therapeutic abortion or a miscarriage, early miscarriage or a or um, a stillborn, and that is absolutely untrue. As soon as you conceive, pretty much as soon as you're conscious that you're carrying a baby, then you're a, you're a mother and you always will be. So, so I said that plural because you know the the most traumatic birth experience that 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 does not end up in a live baby is still a birth experience. So back to the question, did you find your birth experiences transformative? I love that you prefaced that because yes, um, I did find them transformative. And I also, I love that you said that because I found that after I lost my, um, yeah, after I went through the fetal loss, I wasn't considered a mom and I didn't have another baby either. So it was just this completely empty experience and nobody knew that I was a mom and nobody considered me a mom, but I felt like a mom because I I had this baby that I loved so much. So I think it's really healthy and it's so important that you're putting that message out there because yeah, whether it's it's a choice or whether it's a, a miscarriage or whether it's an abortion, whatever it is, like, yeah, you are a mom and you can, you can have that experience of saying, yeah, I carried a, a child. You know, and so did I find them ex- that my birth experience is transformative. Ah, oh, God. Well, I think that my first my first birth experience really broke me. I mean, having a stillborn, I was you know just I had just turned twenty years old. I was so young. Um, I was not prepared in any way, shape, or form to to grieve the loss of a child. It it really completely shattered me in so many ways. Um, and so that was, you know, in a sense, of course, that's a very transformative experience. Uh, and then what else? And then my next birth experience, when I had with you, I had that live birth. And I had, yeah, my daughter who I just fell completely in love with her within the first two seconds, you know, and, and that transformed me because I was like, oh, I think it, it, it was a reparative experience that helped me build trust in my body again and build trust in just my world again of saying, oh, I could have a baby and this baby could be healthy. Um, and 
my third and uh, my third and final birth experience was also I guess you can say it was the best birth experience but it was traumatic after because I had postpartum depression so um giving birth to my to my son was empowering because by that time I was already a labor and delivery nurse and I was in the hospital and I told the doctors not to touch me so I was in this position a squatting position I completely pushed out the baby on my own and I was so happy with the birth experience and then you know within within a few days after postpartum depression set in so that was a massive it took about two years to really get through postpartum depression completely to really completely i think say that that i came out of it um and during that time i think it broke me down so much that i was like it it, i think that was the factor because i was at such a low point to say i'm not going to live with this abusive relationship anymore because i need to start doing things that make me feel better at, at whatever cost and that's when i left my abusive relationship in postpartum depression so um to say that my birth experiences were not transformative <laughs> were like oh my god they were incredibly like they changed my life forever in so many different ways and i think that um i i i actually believe that this uh this label postpartum depression is pretty interesting because it sounds to me that um that that period was so so fed by trauma mm-hmm. and change that uh it's a little it's a little bit of a reductive label to call it postpartum depression because you had had the baby and then you part of you knew that you were going mm-hmm. to make a big change so i think a postpartum depression sometimes is a little mm-hmm. bit of a hibernation um before something really big happens yeah, in your oh, life sure, because it's part of saying either i'm going to sink or swim like either I'm going to get lost in this, or I'm going to make these massive, massive changes that I desperately need in order to feel okay again. So definitely, yeah. Yeah. The massive changes that I desperately need, but also is a, a scarier yeah. than anything else. Yeah. Definitely. Wow. If, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna allow you one word I would like you to tell me one word that every listener can take from you. Oh, boy. Okay. One word. I'll put two words into one word, and what you can can walk away with is whatever you've been through, just say fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) i always try and guess what word people are gonna say when they when they come out with it and i didn't guess that but it fits perfectly thank you so much i'm gonna um let everyone know on my blog post i always write a blog post that goes with the uh the podcast episode so i'll let everyone know how they can reach you Uh, If they want to do work on their own um, trauma, I'm sure you're a wonderful guide. 
And thank you so much for being part of this. It was really great to talk to you again. And yeah, we'll definitely yes, keep in sure. touch. I'm so happy and grateful that you had this interview with me. And thank you for having me on. You're very welcome, Tanya. <laughs>